Welcome back to Studio B, week two of Elevation Church in Studio B. We, I, I'm still blown, Jim, you still blown, I'm still blown away about, about this venue. We, when, you know, we were growing, we're 14 months old. We grew out of our living room last summer. We grew out of MMOV Studios where we met for seven months just a couple weeks ago. Actually, we grew out of it a few months ago, but we just moved out of it a couple weeks ago. And, and I'd never really imagined what that process would look like when we went into the business of planting this church, when we started the process of planting. I, I didn't dream that we would one day occupy an auditorium that would seat 110 people. I could barely dream past the 12 or 13 that we could fit into our living room. And God just put a great vision in my heart for where this church could be, but I didn't imagine what those steps would look like along the way. And I think this is a phenomenal step along the way, Studio B. But that's exactly what it is. It's a step along the way. Studio B is not our church home permanently. It's our church home today. And we have a year-long lease, so I'm sure it'll be our <laughs> for about the next 12 months at least. But as I look around here, and we're almost half full in this room that's twice the size, or a little more than twice the size of where we were meeting previously, and I look at all of the empty chairs, and I think about what I shared with you guys last weekend when I started my ministry years ago when God first called me. I did small groups ministry. And one of the key things that we taught all of our small group leaders was no matter how big the group gets, always have an empty chair in the room. The empty chair in the room serves to remind me and you that there are lost people in our community, right here in Highland Village and Flower Mound and Double Oak and Louisville and Corinth and all of these surrounding communities who are very far from God. Let that empty chair next to you, across from you, in front of you, behind you, represent a person that you know that is outside of the family of God. And you think about that chair today, and I want you to pray about that chair. Actually, it's not the chair I want you to pray about. It's the person who should be sitting in that chair next weekend when we gather again here at Studio B and when we celebrate Easter. Because Easter is what it is all about in Christianity, isn't it? Easter is what it's all about. It's about the risen Lord Jesus who gives us power over sin and over eternal death and promises us cleansing from our dirt and eternal life with him in heaven. And so as I thought about Easter and getting ready for the move in to Studio B and what kind of message God would have me bring in the weeks leading up to and on Easter weekend, I kind of flashed back to an experience that I had about this time last year, last spring. I shared some of this last week, but if you weren't here, I want to share this. You kind of have a premise of where we're going with this whole got dirt thing. Because got dirt may not sound like a really good Bible series. Got dirt may not sound like a message for Palm Sunday. And I promise you, it's not a traditional Palm Sunday message. Then that's okay because we're not a traditional church. So we're just going to do things a little differently. I'm going to move as God leads. And last spring, I remember going into my garden and planting. I love to landscape. We put in flowers and, and plants and stuff every spring. My frustrated farmer comes out of hibernation and he goes to work in the garden. And last year, probably in March or April, I was standing in my bathroom about to get into a hot shower to wash all of the dirt off. And I looked at myself after a full day outside working in the flower beds. And what I saw was this haggard looking guy I mean, I was filthy, nasty, dirty, 
covered from head to toe. My clothes were so heavy with sweat and dirt and mud and probably a little blood too that they were just kind of hanging on me. You know what I'm saying? And I looked at that and I'm just filthy smudges and mud and I had mud so far up under my nails it was unbelievable. I had it caked into all the little creases and lines in my hand to the point where a brush couldn't get it out anymore. I mean, I was filthy. And I looked at that in that mirror and I thought to myself, this is what I must look like. This dirty, filthy, sin-stained man when I stand before my holy God. And I was like, man, that's deep. Couldn't be for me. I knew that was a thing from God. God had revealed something to me. And immediately I thought of a verse that the Apostle Paul penned to the Romans back in the day. Paul was writing a letter to the Romans and explaining a lot of things about Christianity, about what it means to follow Jesus. And one of the things that Paul told the Roman people, Romans 3.23, he said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us, all of humanity from Adam and Eve to the ends of the times, which might be December 21st this year if you believe the Mayans, but from the beginning to the end, every single person will be sin-stained, filthy, dirty before God. We can't achieve His perfect standard. And I said last week that that creates a sin situation. Every one of us has a sin problem, a sin situation. And because we cannot be sin-stained, filthy, dirty people in the presence of a holy God for all eternity, He can't invite us into His holy presence for eternity when we're in that sin-stained condition. So because of that, we all need a sin solution. We need a, 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 some kind of soap and water shower or something that can wash off all of that spiritual dirt, that sin from our lives. When the Bible says that God loves us so much, He wants every one of us to spend eternity with Him. He doesn't want any one of us to perish. You know, we have an eternal soul and a physical body. Your physical body is going to die. You'll, you'll do good to get 75, 80 years out of it. Some people, you know, bust the curve and go to 100, but that means some people check out in their 50s. But we're all going at some point, right? You, you know the death rate hovers right around 100%. Every one of us is going to check out at some point, right? You're going to punch that card and you're gone. And none of us knows when our time is, but your body is going to die, but your soul that God puts inside of you is eternal. And it will live eternally in one of two eternal destinations, either hell, which is eternal separation from God, or in heaven, which is eternal community with God. And God loves each one of us so much, He doesn't want any of us to perish and to find ourselves eternally separated from Him. He wants us to all live in eternal community with Him. And so He sent His one and only Son to die a sacrificial death to become the cleaner, the cleanser that washes away our spiritual dirt. He is the solution to our sin situation. I love that God loves us that much. And at Easter, I love thinking about it even more. Last week, we opened the Gospel of John. We looked at verses 13, or chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. Jesus did something very interesting. He modeled physically the cleansing that he was going to be doing spiritually. And it was beautiful because he did this like on the brink of his arrest, trial, crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. All of that happened within 72 hours after this thing that he did where he washed 
his disciples' feet. It was a really weird thing. It was a controversial thing. It was a dumbfounding thing for the disciples. They could not have expected it, and they did not know how to respond to it. They gathered together in a room in a man's house to celebrate the Passover feast, and as they gathered around the table, Jesus got up, and he began to disrobe, to take off his clothes, and he got down to what essentially was his underwear, and he wrapped a towel around his waist, tied a knot in it, grabbed up a bowl of water, and he went around the table, and he got down on his hands and knees, and he washed his disciples' feet. He got their dirt all over him. He made them more and himself less. Them great. Him a servant, a slave. Because that's who should have been doing the foot washing. Slaves and servants. Not teachers, not masters, not the king of kings and the lord of lords. But that's what Jesus did. He modeled for his disciples right before his death, burial, and resurrection physically what he was about to do for them spiritually. It was an amazing thing, a beautiful, beautiful thing. At the end of this passage, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, this thing that I've done for you, this making myself a servant, putting myself in the position of a slave, elevating you, go and do that too. Go do likewise. Go do likewise. And that bridges us into the message for today. This is a go-do likewise kind of a message. I told you it's not a traditional Palm Sunday message. We're not going to talk a lot about what normally churches talk about on Palm Sunday, but we're going to talk about what I think Jesus was talking about when he said to his disciples and to all of his followers for all eternity, go do likewise. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. It's a really cool parable that Jesus tells. A parable is just a, a little story. When I tell you what this parable is or when you turn and find it, you're going to be familiar, I think, even if you are not a church person, if you don't attend church regularly or didn't grow up in church, you've probably heard of, if not heard outright, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Who knows what a Good Samaritan is? A little show of hands, right? I mean, a couple of people, one or two, five, oh, whole back row back there. All right. We know what a Good Samaritan is. A Good Samaritan is a Boy Scout that helps the old lady across the street, right? You know, that's a good Samaritan. A good Samaritan is the guy or the girl that stops when they see somebody on the side of the road with a flat tire and they get out and help. The good Samaritan is the, the guy that runs into the burning house to rescue the kittens or the puppies. And the news interviews him and tells him he's a good Samaritan and a hero. But Jesus' good Samaritan was a very different story. It had some similarities, but it had some massive differences. We're going to talk about those differences and similarities today. I love the parable of the Good Samaritan. Let's pick up and read 25 to 37 in Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law, expert in the law, read that as lawyer, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Isn't that a great question? What do I need to do to live eternally in community with God? Jesus, knowing that he's dealing with a lawyer, has a beautiful answer. You ever notice lawyers like questions? Lawyers will talk you in circles. If there's a lawyer out here, you just come argue with me later if you think I'm wrong, but I bet you're laughing inside if there's a lawyer out here. Lawyers love questions. They will let you go in circles talking, just asking you question after question after question. Jesus sees this lawyer asking him this question, how do I inherit eternal life? Remember, Jesus sees past the question. He sees the heart behind it. 
Jesus answers the question with a question. Such a lawyerly tactic. He knows who he's dealing with. He asks the lawyer, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, I think it's interesting that Jesus, who is the living word of God, he is the law in the flesh, asks this lawyer, how do you read the law? How do you understand me? Is really the question behind the question. I love this. And the lawyer answers him. I don't think the lawyer knows who he's dealing with. He says to Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. We have come to know this little passage, this answer, as the great commandment. Jesus was asked on other occasions, what is the greatest commandment? His answer was this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. Love God, love others others, that's the most important priority that a person can have. And it's the charge that every follower of Christ has been given. We are to love God first. Nothing else comes before him. No one else comes before him. And then we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. Love God and love others. Jesus tells him, well, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. I love verse 29. But the lawyer wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus the pivotal question, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now remember, Jesus sees beyond the question. He sees beyond the person asking the question. Jesus knows the heart behind what is being asked. And I believe in this context, because of what Jesus does next, I believe that Jesus sees this man's heart. And he understands the question the man is asking is not, who is my neighbor? Who do I love? His question is, who must I love? Who do I have to love in order to get to heaven? In other words, who may I exclude? Who may I leave out of my love? Who may I say is unloved or unlovable and still be able to enter into eternity with God? That is the heart behind this lawyer's question. It's not who do I love, it's who can I not love because I am only going to go as far as required. I will do the bare minimum and not one thing more. Jesus had to see it coming. He had to see this coming. I believe he actually set it up this way because he answers immediately with this story. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving the man half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side of the road. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side as well. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw the man, he took pity on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. Then the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Then Jesus asks the pivotal question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy 
on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Here it is again. Go and do likewise. That's how we wrapped up last week's passage. Go and do likewise. As I've done for you, as I've washed your feet, go and do likewise. This week we're reading this parable, this passage. Jesus tells this amazing story. He challenges this, this lawyer guy, and, and the guy answers correctly, but with the wrong heart. And then when he finally gets to the end of his story, Jesus tells the man, the heart-shaping thing you can do is go and do likewise. This morning, I think we're on a go and do likewise mission. I believe that's what God has called us to talk about today. It's what he's called us to live out each and every day. We need to be living go do likewise lives. So let's open up this parable. Let's peel back the layers and get beyond the surface of this story and find out what's going on in the story of the good Samaritan. The man is beaten and robbed and left half dead, dying, dirty, filthy, probably muddy and bloody, in the ditch along the side of the road. He's literally in the ditch. We think about being in the ditch today. You talk about going into the ditch. You're talking about, you know, driving your car on a country road off into the ditch. It's, it's bad news. You're stuck. You're in trouble. You need help getting out. You can get injured. You can get hurt. Laying in the ditch is no place to be. There's a TV commercial right now about not ending up in the ditch. I don't remember what it's all about. There's a guy with an eye patch, and you get an eye patch. People think you're tough. The people think you're tough. They beat you up, and then you wake up in a roadside ditch. Have y'all seen that commercial? Somebody shake your head and make the pastor feel more comfortable. Yes. Okay, you have. That's wonderful. We don't want to end up in a roadside ditch. So let's find out how to avoid it. This man is in the roadside ditch. He's been beaten, bloodied. He's left dead or dying in the ditch. Dirty, muddy, and bloody. And a priest, Jesus says, comes walking down the road. Imagine for a moment that you're the man or the woman, whichever gender you happen to be, laying, dying, dirty, muddy, and bloody, abandoned, maybe barely conscious. You're laying in the ditch, probably hoping you'll die. Can I just please go ahead and check out? This hurts. This is not good. And maybe through a, a matted, bloody, black eye, you kind of get it to open just a little bit, and you're looking around. What's around me? What's going on? I hear something. Are they coming back to finish me off? Oh, please let them. And you see coming down the road a priest. You're a Jewish man. You see a priest from the Jewish temple. Your heart probably leaps up a little bit. You begin to have a, just a touch of hope. Maybe I can be saved. Surely this man is going to help me. He's going to render aid, and maybe I can be saved. But as the priest approaches and notices you in the ditch, what does he do? He doesn't just walk on by. He doesn't check on you and say, hey, I'll send an ambulance. He sees you in the ditch, and he walks deliberately to the other side of the road and he continues along his merry way as if you weren't even there. My heart sinks. I'm laying in the ditch, muddy, bloody, half dead, dying. And the priest, the man of God, the one that I had so much hope in, walks on by. He crosses the road to get away from me and leaves me. 
in my dead, dying, sin-stained, muddy, bloody, dirty condition. I can't imagine how crestfallen, how crushed I would feel if that was me. And yet, this man lays there a while longer, and here comes a Levite. Now, if a priest is a man of God, one who teaches in the temple, one who has been called by God and should be reflecting God in all that he does, the Levites were a tribe of the nation of Israel, one of the 12 tribes. And in the Old Testament, the Levites were set aside by God as the caretakers of the temple. They would have been like the church staff. They may not have been the priests. Some of them were. God's original intent was the entire nation of Israel, all 12 tribes, would be a nation of priests. They messed that up and sinned and did all kinds of mess. And the Levites kind of ended up by default, not just the caretakers of the temple, but in many cases, they were also the priests. This one apparently was not a priest, but one of the caretakers. He would have been like a pastor on staff. He would have been church staff. Somebody this man should and could have trusted and probably to a large degree did. He probably thought, okay, maybe, maybe the priest didn't see me. Maybe he thought I was already dead. Here's this man. Surely this Levite is going to save me. But the Levite, too, sees the dead, dying, dirty man and walks to the other side of the road and continues on his journey. Once bitten, twice shy, man. This guy's twice bitten, plus robbed, beaten, and laying dying in the ditch. How horrible, how awful, how lost must he feel? Surely at this point he's praying that death would come quickly. When lo and behold, here comes a Samaritan. Now we have a different context for Samaritan today. When we think of the Good Samaritan, we think of those people I mentioned earlier, the, the man running into the house to save the kittens or the puppies, the person who pulls over to help the person with a flat tire, the Boy Scout leading the old lady across the street. These are Good Samaritans. In Jewish culture, in biblical times, Samaritans were the dirtiest, most distant enemies that a Jewish person had. The Jews and the Samaritans had a long-standing history of butting heads and of clashing. The Samaritans had sold the Jews down the river on a couple of different occasions. They had kind of given them the, a raw deal, helped other people against them. They had taken some of Jewish culture and some of Jewish religion, and they had hybridized it with pagan religions, and they practiced a messed-up theology, and, and the Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. And it had been going on like this for hundreds, maybe thousands of years at this point. And so this Jewish man lying, dying in a ditch, muddy and bloody, caked in dirt and mud, just hurting, dying, sees the Samaritan coming. And he's probably like, oh yeah, this guy's definitely going to finish me off. He's probably going, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus finally sent me somebody who'll kill me. And the Samaritan walks up to him and the Bible says has pity on him. He has pity on his enemy who's laying, dying, and dirty in the ditch. The Samaritan gets down on his hands and his knees, and he gets the injured man's mud and blood all over him. As he bandages the wounds, he pours on oil and wine. He binds the man up. He picks him up and carries him and places him on a donkey. And he carefully leads this man on the donkey to an inn where he takes him inside, gets a room, gets the guy taken care of, continues to care for him till the next day, and then he whips out his MasterCard, American Express, Visa, two denarii. Room and board at that time was one-twelfth of a denarius. This is 24 days of care. He's paying in advance out of his own pocket 
for his enemy who was dying in the ditch, dirty, muddy, and bloody. He's already invested his time. He's taken away from whatever it was he was doing, whatever business he was on. He's gotten himself muddy, bloody, dirty. And now he's investing his money. And he tells the innkeeper, take care of this man. I'm paying in advance. Here's three weeks of care paid in advance, room and board. And by the way, on my return trip, I'm going to check in with you. And if it costs more, you take care of it and I will reimburse you. He didn't give him a limit. I'll pay you back if it's up to... He just said, whatever it is, you handle it. I'll take care of it on the backside. Here's three weeks in advance just to be sure. I think there's a lot of people in Highland Village, in Flower Mound, in Louisville, Double Oak, all these different communities around here. There's a lot of different communities around here. You ever, know, you ever look at a map? There's a lot of communities. There's a lot of people right here in our neighborhoods, right here in our backyard, people we rub elbows with all the time, our neighbors, our friends, our family, our coworkers, people on the little league teams that we play on and coach. And there's just people all over the place that we see all the time. People you may know, people you may just recognize. You walk to school with your kids every day, you see the same parents back and forth. Maybe you've never said hi, maybe you've never gotten to know them, but you recognize them, you, you know who they are. I think a lot of those people are spiritually laying in the ditch. They're dying, anguishing, painful, spiritual deaths because they're covered in their sin, in the filth and the murkiness of this world. This world's just a great big bar ditch. It's just a big old sewer ditch. And a lot of us are laying in the ditch. A lot of your neighbors, your families, your friends are laying in the ditch, dirty, muddy, and bloody, dying. And many of us, are the priest and the Levite crossing the road to get away from their filth because we can't be bothered. We're too important, we're too busy, or we're too comfortable in our own cleanliness. We've got what Jesus is offering. We've been cleansed. I don't want to get dirty. I don't, go, I don't want to do what Jesus said. I don't want to go and do likewise. I want to revel in my own cleanliness, my own blessed assurance. And the Samaritan, the enemy, Jesus could have picked anybody. He could have picked anybody out of their culture, anybody out of their society. He picked the least of these to demonstrate, I believe, to you and to me, no matter how dirty we are, no matter how messed up our theology is, no matter how long or how violently we've opposed God, really following Him, really loving God and loving others is a lot less about praying little pretty prayers. It's less about walking in our blessed assurance or doing some kind of religious duty. And it's a lot more about rolling up our sleeves and getting on our knees and getting muddy and bloody and dirty down in the ditch with people who are dying and going to hell in our communities. We're too comfortable. We become priests and Levites, the Christian church. We got to go and do likewise. Love God. Love others. Ministry is dirty. 
Elevation Church is a dirty church. There ain't no clean people allowed in here. And if you're too clean to get dirty with us, go find a comfortable church somewhere else. I love you too much to let you walk away like a priest and a Levite, thinking you're better than, holier than, cleaner than. Jesus called us to get dirty. And we're fixing to get dirty up in here. It's going to be a dirty church. Filthy, McNasty, standing before a mirror with our clothes hanging off of us, soaked in sweat and bug spray and sunscreen and mud and blood and caked on dirt so thick we can't see who we really are anymore. But instead of looking like that before our holy heavenly Father, He will see the cleanliness of Christ in whose name we do our dirty work. Elevation Church, we have a chance to get down and dirty. You have a chance every day with the people that you know, the people that you love, the people that you rub shoulders with, the people that you maybe don't know but just recognize. It's time to get in the ditch and get dirty. Share some of the love of Christ. Roll up your sleeves and go to work. That's your individual mandate as a follower of Jesus. Our corporate mandate as a church is to do the same thing together, corporately. And the way we're going to do that in the next couple of weeks, Saturday, April the 28th, Breaking Bread Ministry, a ministry that feeds homeless, hungry people in Denton County. We're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to go get dirty and get sweaty. We're going to go to work and go feed some hungry, helpless people. Folks who are down on their luck for whatever reason, I don't care if they put themselves there. We're going to love them where they are. We're going to share the love of Jesus with them. We're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to get their filth and their dirt all over us as we love them as Jesus loves us. Because the Bible says, while we were still sinners, while we were still covered in filth, Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. We're going to back up that day on April the 28th, we're going to back that up with another Saturday. The following Saturday, seven days later, May the 5th, we're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to go get fish slime on us. We're going to go get fish bait on us. We're going to serve again for the second year with the city of Flower Mound at their kid fish event. It's over at Rudisil Park. We're going to do that on Saturday, May the 5th. Just mark your calendars from like early in the morning until like middle of the afternoon for both of those days, okay? I'll give you details later. We're going to roll up our sleeves and go get dirty. Those are just some of the things that we can do as a church to serve our community, to find the lost people, the hurting people, the dying, dirty people in the ditch and just bring the light of Christ to them. Individually, next weekend is Easter. Easter's it. It's the Super Bowl of Christianity. It is the deal. Your individual mandate as a follower of Jesus to roll your sleeves up and get dirty. You invite people here to come be a part of what God is doing. This church is not a good thing. This church is a God thing. I'm not a good pastor. He is a great pastor. He is the ultimate pastor. And when he brings his message through me and through you into a lost and dying world outside of those doors, we've rolled up our sleeves. We've gotten dirty in the ditch with these people. We've brought them in. Life change can happen. The, 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 the man that was beaten and robbed, his life was saved. How many lives can we save by sharing the love of Christ, by going and doing likewise? 10 o'clock next Sunday morning, Easter Sunday. There's a whole side of the room over here that needs to be filled. 
Let's get dirty. Heavenly Father, thank you that while we are in the midst of our sin, dying, dirty, muddy, and bloody in a ditch, you sent your son to die sacrificially for each one of us. Father, may we never be comfortable in our Christianity. May we never get lazy in our faith or be too clean, too religious to roll up our sleeves, to get dirty and to go to work doing likewise like you when you rolled up your sleeves and washed your disciples' feet and got their dirt all over you. Like you when you were literally sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane while your disciples slept. Like you when you were arrested, beaten, tried, retried, rebeaten, flogged, beaten some more, spat upon, and then made to carry a cross, which you were nailed to, was dropped into the ground and raised up, and they placed a crown of thorns on your head, and you hung there suspended between heaven and earth, muddy and bloody and dirty with my sin. May we never lose the passion that you had on that day. And may we go and do likewise in the name of Jesus. Amen.